Well, as you can see, we have some substitute helpers. Ron, thank you so much for stepping up and leading us through worship today. The, the Bronski family, extended family, is off for some good times in Southern California. We'll be happy to see them back. I hope they're having a great time. But we do miss them, and they leave a hole. So Mark back there stepped up and helped uh, uh, Andy this morning when uh, Paul was gone, and then Ron stepped up and, and helped us through the worship thing. That was so great. And thank you for that medley, Ron. And actually, we talk about this all the time, how God sees the work through different people all the time to do, you know, kind of the same message. Oftentimes, we repeat what happens in men's uh, Bible study on Saturday morning, um, and, 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 and almost practically every Saturday, I deliver about at least a third of my sermon because they seem to be thinking about the same thing. So Ron this morning said, let's, let's, let's take this and internalize this song. Make it about you. That's what today's sermon is going to be about. But first, we need the kids. We need our kids to come up. We're going to talk a little bit. Hey, Mr. Paxton, are you going to come up? I need, I need your help. All right. Oh, how many of you like things that are good? I love things that are good. Like, how about on Halloween, did you pour your candy bucket out so you could see how much candy did I have? Did you, did you count it? Yeah, so we want to know. We want a volume. We want to know how much of this good stuff. Like, how many days before Christmas? How many of you guys count the days before Christmas? Right? No? You don't care? Christmas is not a good thing? How about when you get to Christmas and you pass out your gifts? I don't know how you do it. We pass them all out first, and then we open them up by age. But then do you, like, mm, how many? Or even before, like, the kids would sneak out in, at the nighttime and count how many presents and see if mom and dad were fair. Because we want to know good stuff. How much good stuff do we have, right? How much good stuff? Now, there's a lot of things we get when we get older. Like, how much money do I have? We count it because we think money's good. How about you? Do you know how much money you got? I lost all my money. You want all your money? Okay. Yeah. Oh, you lost all your money. That's not a good thing. It's easy to count it when you don't have any more. How about friends? How many friends do I have on, and for you, on social media? I'm counting. Did you? I hate when that happens. Yeah. Oh, man. So we want to count how many. You know how many sunglasses I have? Five. I have five pairs of sunglasses. I, I'd give you one. I count them. And when I lose one. I had two. You had two? You, now you only have one? Okay. How about when we want to get stronger, do we count how much weight we can lift? Yes, I have, a, I have a weight machine, and I keep, I keep track. This is the exercise. This is how many pounds it is. And then when we get a little bit older and we step on the scale, and we say, how many pounds do I need to lose? Yes. You guys don't have to do that yet. Um, we want to know how much stuff is and how much it is when it's good. Now, so here's what I want you to do. Here, you guys stand back a little bit. This is Paxing because I don't want anybody else to be hurt. Okay, Paxton, you take a hold of this. 
and you just run it right. He's going to go right down the middle aisle there until it's go slow. Oh, that's it. That's it. Okay, that's as far as this one will go. That is eight feet. All right. All right. Now we'll take this one. How about this one? Run it right on down, out through the aisle. Oh, 12 feet. We're getting bigger. We can measure things up to 12 feet. Let's try this one. Okay. Oh, boy. Well, I think it's more than 12. Oh, right there, 16 feet. Oh, my goodness. All right, now about this one. Oh, my goodness. Hold it right there. 25 feet. All right. 25 feet. How would you like to have something that was 25 feet long? Maybe you have a sailboat or something. Now we have even this. This one I don't need your help with. Maybe. This one. See the little dot? See the dot? You guys see the red dot? That red dot was 58 feet away. One inch. The digital thing, digi in digital, is laser. This is laser. Okay, so I'm going to turn it off. We, just, we have a laser at home. Do you? Yeah, and you can measure. Laser. I can measure as far as that laser dot would go. I have my own laser. Do you? Wow. That's pretty cool of your parents to get you your very own laser. Yeah. All right. We like to measure good stuff. Can we measure... Very good. How much God loves us. Is that important? Yes, it is important that God loves us. We would like to know how much God loves us. Do your parents ever go like this? I love you this much. Yes. You think, if only dad had bigger arms, I'd get more love. No. And so how long are God's arms? Forever. Right. So we want to measure... God's love. Here's what it says. Here's what it says in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 3, verse um, 17 and 18 and 19. That Christ may dwell in your heart. So if Christ is in your heart, if you are a child of God, if you're one of God's children, he dwells in your heart, then being rooted, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the height, the length, and the depth of God's love for you. That's what it says. You know, it, basically what it's telling us is we can't comprehend it. That God's love for us is so great, it's immeasurable by anything we would have. And that's how much he loved. He, in fact, he loved us so much. We're going to talk about this later with the bigger people. He was willing to die and take all of the things we did wrong and put it upon himself. Of all people... And take the punishment for all of the bad stuff. That's how much God loves you. So when your parents tell you they love you, they can love you some, but they can't love you as much as God. And he does love you if you're one of his children. All right? Don't forget that. You're going to need that fact someday. There's going to be someday when you don't feel loved, and you can say, but yeah, but God loves me, and he loves me so much we can't measure it. You're going to need that, trust me. All right, thanks a lot.
You're going to need that. Trust me. I got to get my glasses now. Oh boy, this was an interesting week. Um, I lose about three days with Thanksgiving as far as, you know, having people over and everything. Uh, this was an interesting sermon prep, and I say that a lot, and I know you guys are probably tired of hearing it. Um, we've been talking a little bit about what's important in life, and being reconciled back to God is huge, right? That's it. That's the purpose of life in the human condition where we're broken and we're separated from God and we need to be brought back into reconciliation with God in relationship, in intimate relationship with God in order to have the things that we need satisfied as well as the things that we don't need like punishment taken away, right? That's the expiation and propitiation of Christ. He took the bad part away, took upon himself our sin so that no longer are we under the death penalty of sin. And not only that, but he reinstated us as children of God with all the benefits of being a child of God in God's love. Okay. And so then we were talking about what else is important? Well, how about being transformed back to the image of Christ? And there was a process for doing that. And so we're doing it now. There's a third one. I'm going to throw this in. It's going to come in later, not today, but... um, I might as well give it to you. Your part in building the kingdom of God. Okay, so when we are saved, then all of a sudden God's working on us inside of our hearts. And then what do we do with that? Well, you know, it's all about me. I want to be changed. But then we have to take that thing that God gives us and use it because when we become in the image of Christ, what was Christ's example? to serve others and love God and serve others, right? So we're going to say, what, what, what God saved me for is to be one of his children and reconcile him back, and then to transform me. Why? So that I can be more like Jesus, and what Jesus did was to build God's kingdom here on earth. So those are the three things that are super, super important in this life. Most everything else is small stuff, some stuff really small stuff. But here I am, and I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old, and this whole transitioning process... And so as I I continue to obsess over this, and how then are we transformed? And it was dying to self, dying to my flesh, and being transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I've given you, you know, I I think there's some factors involved in this, which is, um, you know, God's Holy Spirit has to be involved in all of it. He gives us his word as a transforming truth. He gives us other Christians so that we can, as iron sharpens iron, build up one another and and work together as a team, and then he gives us trials. And those trials are are sent to us to help perfect us. That's what it says in Scripture. Okay, so as I'm going through all this, and and I've been planning this sermon for a couple weeks because last week I kind of got off to the side and God brought some things I needed to bring up as far as what's the bigger picture of what we're going through. And so... This week, I was listening some, to some different things and reading some things and reading the scriptures. And, you know, as I said, when I first started preparing for this passage, this is like, duh, God is using Paul to take biblical truth and apply it to these situations in their life, which one, one was they were going through trials and persecution because they became Christians. And in some instances, if they were Jews, that meant a total annihilation of all the things they had accumulated to that point in their life. They lost family, they lost relationships, they lost jobs, uh, they were being persecuted, I mean, literally persecuted, hurt. And, and, and so he's trying to deal with that problem 
How do I'm just now I'm coming to Christ. Paul was probably there between two two weeks and two two months. That's about all they figure he was in Thessalonica. And so here are these Christians with maybe not a ton of information about what God really expects or what they could expect from God. And Paul's writing back to them and he's telling them, apply these truths to your life so that you can deal with these things. And one of those things was some false teaching that had come up while he was gone. Boy, that seems to happen a lot, doesn't it? So the minute that Paul leaves, probably somebody's in there trying to, to hey, hey, there's a bunch of people, and I can get some, a hold of them and, and get them to think the way I want them to think. So they were leading him to believe that the Christians that died, or they thought maybe if the Christians that died before Jesus returned, we're not going to make it to heaven. And so he writes back in First Thessalonians and says, no, 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 don't worry about that. Um, you're you're going to make it. And then the second one here is people going around and teaching that... Um, uh, the day of the Lord's already come and you missed it. And so then he gives them, which we went through last time, uh, all these things, no, no, don't worry. You haven't missed it. These things have to happen first. And that's what we were talking about in, in first, uh, Second Thessalonians in the first part of uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And there's a ton of stuff in there. And, and as you know, as we, if you were here when we went through that, there's a lot of things that people are trying to figure out uh, about what does all this stuff mean. And, and so I gave you my answer, and, which was a non-answer, and, and hopefully then you are looking into uh, eschatology. We are... Uh, contemplating if we have enough interest of having an eschatology class after the first year. So I'll have to find out if you indeed are interested. But anyway, I'm going through this and trying to figure out. He is applying biblical truth to people's lives so that their lives can be changed, and that is what it says in Romans 12 too, that I no longer want to conform to the pattern of this world. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And so How are we doing that? And one of the ways that we do that is through God's holy word. We are going to then take biblical truths that we read or we hear or are taught to us and apply them. But then as Ron was doing with the song, how do we internalize those truths so that they actually become transformational inside of our lives, right? So how I can read this stuff and get an intellectual knowledge of Scripture, but am I really reading it in a way that leads me to being changed by it? Am I, am I reading it in a way that I internalize it? Do you understand? I mean, you need to understand. You have to understand. The Bible was written by God to you personally, if you're a child of God. Not just here it is, and here's a, not just here is a manual for living, it is. Not just here is my truth, it is. Not just here is how it all is going to work out, how it started, how the salvation plan came along, and how it's all going to end at the end of time. It is that, but it is God speaking to you personally. If you want it to transform you, which I hope you do, then you have to read it a certain way. I am going to, today, I don't know how this is going to go. We'll see. I'm going to go over with you a different way, maybe, to read your Bible. Say, well, what other way is there to read my Bible? Um, standing on my head? No. We'll see how this goes. We're going to go through Scripture. We're going to go through this passage 
And we're going to take a look at the spiritual truths that are there, and we're going to apply them to ourselves right here today. And hopefully you take it home, and it's changing you. So let's see. So here we are. We have these five verses. Those of you that know me recognize five is probably a pretty good number for me. I'm moving along faster than most of the time. Um, Five verses, 13 and 14, are what God has already done. A little summary of things that God has already done that Paul thinks that the Thessalonians should know so they can apply it to their lives. And then you're going to have verse, so that's 13, 14. Verse 15 is what God wants them to do. You do this. Then verses 16 and 17 are things that God is going to be doing in the future for you. For you. Okay. Oops. Okay. God's Word was written to you. Now, I I have these four categories. So if I had gotten my stuff together ahead of time, I would have printed off a page. It said date, date, passage, and these four headings off to the one side. Inform, instruct, exhort, encourage, and correct. So what did I do? I went through this passage, and I said, okay, here's some things where God is just imparting truth to me. Here it is. It's just truth. I need you to know stuff. We see a lot of narrative in there, and, and there's things that, okay, I didn't know that. And, and tells about you know, the kings, and it tells about how the, the, the nation of Israel went into the desert. And we went through that in Joshua and just not too long ago in Sunday school. So there's things in there that are just informing you of what God's truth is. And then there is parts of it that are saying, no, 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 I need you to take that truth and apply it, and here's how it's supposed to work in your life or I'm going to command you or exhort you to do something, or I'm going to encourage you, motivate you, reassure you, give you hope, comfort you, share with you my promises, or I'm going to correct you. I'm going to identify and deal with wrong thinking, sinful deeds, and sins of omission, things you're doing that you're doing wrong or things that you're not doing that you should be doing. Okay, Scripture has all those things. Would you agree? Yes, Scripture does all those things. That These aren't the only categories, but these are big categories to if I am going to read Scripture and actually apply it to my life to the point where it's going to change me, I am looking at this specifically. Hmm, where am I being informed? How am I being informed of something that God needs me to know, wants me to know? He wrote Scripture. He didn't waste a single dot or tittle. It's all there for a reason. And so if I'm reading through Scripture, maybe I just read through it. It sounded good, and it, it, you know, I checked off my box, and, and I read, read so much, and I'm reading through the Bible in the year. I, I'm not saying that's bad or anything. I'm just saying when you read it, if you aren't reading it to be changed, then you probably should go back and do it different. And if that means slowing down, slow down. But it's going to impart truth, and then it's going to say, okay, now I need you to do this, Tim. I'm going to use this a lot, Tim, and I'm going to internalize this as I look at Scripture, I'm going to be reading it as if God is talking to me in a, in a conversation. I'm going to, okay, God, what is it in here that you're trying to instruct me to do so I can apply this truth to my real life? Or what are you telling me I need to be doing? Because we don't know. On our own, we don't know. And, and In fact, on our own, we do it wrong because we're broken and sinful and selfish. So we need to die to that, but... In the meantime, God's saying, no, I need you to do this, so I'm going to tell you what you need to do. I'm going to encourage you. We all need that. I mean, that love of Jesus thing, love of God, can we measure it? No. There's going to be a time when you need that. 
You're going to need to know. You're going to need to have that in your head and in your heart. God loves me because everything else around me is telling me I am not loved. I need that one. God's going to encourage you, motivate you, reassure you, give you hope. We all need those things. And he's going to correct because back to the I'm broken part. In my flesh, I'm going to do it wrong every time. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You're man. You're going to do it your way. And when I do that, I need to be corrected. Why? Because God loves me enough to correct me. Because God wants me, he wants to lead me through the truth of his word to the path of the abundant life where my inner soul needs are being met by God and I can find some joy and I can find some satisfaction. I can find fulfillment and purpose and meaning and all the things that I really need when I get back onto the pathway that God wants me to be on. And he uses his word in this way to do that. But I have to be able to identify it and internalize it or it's not going to change me. Can you tell I'm passionate about this? So starting in verse 13. Actually, let me read it first. Let me read the whole thing, and then I get a little bit more context in the whole. Uh, Starting in verse 13, I forgot to say, turn with me in your Bibles or your phones. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. This is Paul writing to the church. Brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish, establish them in every good work and word. I read that. I mean, I read that a number of times because I was preaching on it. And until I really broke it out into those things, those categories, I didn't understand what the truths were that were being conveyed to me and wasn't internalizing it until I intentionally said, hey, that one was for me. He's talking to me. He's talking to me there. That's something. I can hang on to that. Okay, so you see my... My, my words there, right? So I'm going, to be, I'm going to be sharing with you some of those things. So, just so we know exactly what it's saying. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by spirit and relief, belief in the truth. So, you got to take a little bit of context before this. He had just told them that at the end of time, before Jesus comes back, it's going to be a great delusion and people are going to not be able to see the truth because they had no love for the truth. So he's saying, but, so this, but the but here is like, no, I'm going, but that's not going to happen to you. Okay, that's what's going to happen at the end of time. But, but not you, because your children are God. So we give thanks to, you, to God for you because God chose you as his first fruits. And actually, that's, I think, a bad translation there. We're going to talk about that in a second. To be saved through sanctification by the Holy Spirit. And belief in the truth, because what, what's going to happen to those that aren't chosen and first fruits and sanctified? They're going to believe the lie. And so he's telling them, nope, that's not you. So we look at chose, and that 
Man, basically that's it. That means to choose. Uh, somewhere I left my... Here we go. <clears throat> now, where am I? Somewhere I lost one of my note pages. Oh, well. So, God chose you. And that word chose actually means that. The first fruits, though, is a different word, and it, and it can be translated in a lot of different ways. And since that's the, the note page I don't have anymore, somewhere, it can be translated another way, and, and it means from before the beginning. First fruits. So first fruits are, so God chose you. First of all, God chose you. How many of you have a problem with that? Don't raise your hand. There's this thing going around in you know, Christian uh, predestination and God choosing us. I don't get that, Tim. I don't get it. I, you know, doesn't God just open the door and then, but it's up to us to walk through it? I don't think the Bible teaches that. Okay, so Paul is saying to them, God chose you as first fruits or before the beginning. And so this could be translated before the beginning or as first fruits, as the first part of the fruits. But was this really the first fruits? No, the church was started at Pentecost, and they were kind of the first fruits of, of the new covenant. So let's just take a look. And then I am calling you to be saved as the first fruits, to be rescued from destruction through sanctification by the Spirit. So, so by being led to purity and holiness. That's what sanctification. To, so I chose you, God chose you, before time began to be saved and led to holiness and purity and belief in my truth by my Holy Spirit. Okay? <clears throat> How do we know that part for the first fruits? Well, we go back and look at Paul's letter in Ephesians <clears throat> in Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless, exactly what he said before, right? In Thessalonians. I chose you, but instead of the first fruits, it says, before the foundation of the world, that we should be sanctified or holy, blameless in him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. All right. God's truth for us. First of all, I'm going to say there's some things that are going to inform you and encourage you. God chose you before the world began. God chose you before you were even conceived. How does that make you feel? Tim, I chose you before the world began. How many of you have ever been in a position where People chose. I mean, I remember in grade school, you know, we'd line up and we'd pick teams for baseball or football. And Tim was, was, was always one of the smallest kids. And then we, I, in, in fifth grade, I moved around a lot, went to four, three different fifth grade schools in one year. So, so I went to three different fifth grades. So there I am, the new kid, and nobody knows anything about me. Actually, I was, was, was decent in sports, but... Um, nobody knew, and so there I am, and eh, 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 uh, right, and there I am standing there in line last. 
How about you? How about you? How about I applied for this job and there were 50 applicants and they read through all the resumes and they chose someone else. And, and then we, we wrap our identity into that. And I, I need to be chosen. And so here you go. Tim, I chose you. In fact, Tim, <clears throat> unlike your friends on the playground, even if they knew you stunk at baseball, <clears throat> I know you stink at life. Even before I chose you, before I made you, I, I saw all the goofball stuff you were going to do, and I chose you anyway. Own that. Own that when you need that. Own it now. Put it inside. I have value because God chose me before the beginning of the world. I matter because God chose me. Not because of what I did. In fact, he saw all my goofball mistakes and he chose me anyway. Man, that's a good one. He chose me to be saved by the sanctifying work of his Holy Spirit. What's so great about that? doesn't depend on you doesn't depend on me. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful truth to own that God is going to continue to lead me to holiness even when I am not good at it? Everything else that the world wants to choose you for is based on your performance. Not God. Not God, he says. Not only am I going to pick you, but I'm going to fix you too. Now, I'm going to expect a little cooperation from you, but guess what? I'm relentless. I am going to lead you by the power of my Holy Spirit that I put inside you to not just be saved, but to be fixed. Not completely here in this life. Think back. I mean, there's things in our lives, right? We wish we would change. There's things in our lives that we've been working on for a long time. There's these besetting sins that we have, and we just, man, it's so frustrating. God, I just, I hate that part of myself. Sometimes it's just debilitating. Sometimes it's just overwhelming. Sometimes the guilt and the shame and all the things we're carrying, and God says, I, I know about it all. I chose you anyway, and I'm leading you towards purity and holiness, sometimes in spite of you. And, but guess what? When it becomes in spite of you, mostly I use trials. <laughs> um, there are, there are ways we can make you happen. So, thank God for those, because he's never giving up on fixing us after he saves us. This is a truth from verse 13. See it, own it, apply it to your life, make it part of who you are, that I am saved before the beginning of the world, that I am being sanctified by the power of God's Holy Spirit, and nothing can stop him. Except me a little bit. I can get in his way. And he gave me a belief in the truth of the gospel. That's what it says in verse 13. It I, that I sent you, my Holy Spirit, and gave you a belief in the message that saved you. Thanks. That's a part of who you are. That's part of your value. I gave you the formula to become my child. The rest of the world can see it. They won't, they won't understand it. They won't accept it. But you did because I made you. Thank you, God. Hmm. 
there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of um, encouragement there, right? Um, I know this isn't part of this, but we can say, hey, not only did he bring me, but he's not going to let me go either. Because he's never quitting. All right, let's go to verse 14. To this, that, sanctification and salvation, to this he called, he called me through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this calling again, right? This calling. So God said, I chose you, and how am I going to get you? I'm going I'm to call you, and I'm going to fix your heart and mind so that when I call, you're going to come. You're going to come. That's how it worked. I called, or I draw you like a bucket of a well, and I'm bringing you in. I called you by name. This is the part. Tim, I didn't just call. I didn't. I didn't just put it out there like the town crier. Hear ye, hear ye, all of you that want to save, be saved by Jesus Christ, come to me. No, no, I went right to your door. Tim, you in there? Yeah, I'm here. Um, you're coming. Oh, okay, thank you. There's some things I need you to know, and I'm going to implant them in your head. It's called the gospel. It's the way you get back to me. I'm coming for you, personally. Uh, you're, you're being subpoenaed. I'm serving. I'm serving you. Come on. So that you may obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. Have, you have no idea. I have no idea. No mind can conceive, no, no, no ear is heard, no eye is seen, no mind can conceive the wonderful things that God has prepared for those of him that, that are his children. You and I sharing in the glory of Jesus. You have no idea. You have no idea what that, what that means. Neither do I. It's just so overwhelmingly greater than anything we can imagine. We have no reference point here in this earth, in this broken, sinful, selfish, cruel world, to know what the glory of God is really like. We got a little bit of a, of a hint back in the Old Testament. When Moses wanted to see the God's glory, he said, I'll only show you my hinder parts. I'm going to put my hand over you and pass by. You can come out and look at the backside of me because that's as good as it's going to get. Otherwise, I'm going to slay you. I'm so holy. You're going to share in that because God is giving you the right to share in the glory of his son. <clears throat> God's truth rests in verse 14. You were called by God by name. Tim, I'm coming for you, and I'm going to get you. And I called you so that you can be saved, you can be changed, and you can share in the glory of my son. How many of you looked out there and said, boy, oh boy, you know, I see these people and they really seem to be liked and, and they got all these followers on Facebook or they have their, their YouTube influencers or, or all this thing. And, and look at the glory that the world is giving them. I want a piece of that. Oh, can I just be famous for a while? Can I just have other people just, you know, love me? And, and, and can I just be like, who is it? Um, Taylor Swift? I mean, come on. Can I just be like Taylor's way for one night where stadiums fill up and people are waiting in parking lots paying $97 to park their car just so they can come and hear me sing for two hours? I'm affecting the economies of every city that I, I come to. Can I just do that for a minute, God? God says, oh, I got much better plans for you than that. Much better plans for you than that. I'm going to let you share in the glory of me. 
When you're feeling alone, when you're feeling like, like you don't matter, when you're feeling like you haven't made a big impact on the world like you wanted to do when you were 17, be president. You don't need that kind of glory, Tim. I'm giving you mine. I need to own that at times in this life when things are hard. Hopefully you do too. God's saying to you, he's saying to you, put your name in there. I called you by name so you can share in my glory. You have no idea what that's going to mean. Verse 15, so brothers, and back to my notes again. Stand firm and hold on to the traditions you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or letter. So here's the one where he's saying, I've been doing this. I did this. Now, here's what I want you to do. So stand firm. Stand firm is the, to persevere and, and hold on to using all your strength. Karadeo. Using your strength to seize and hold on tight by the things that we are taught. And the traditions is not a, not a good... It's paradosis, the precepts that were transmitted or the ordinances. So it isn't like, okay, just do these things that we've just been doing over and over without thinking about it. That's not what these traditions are about. What he's saying is hold on to the things that I have imparted to you and hold on to them as if they are the word of God. And they were. And Paul, back in 1 Thessalonians, right, he was saying, hey, it was so great. It was evidence that you are God's children because you accepted our words as the very words of God. And they were. They were Scripture. God wrote them down. He gave them to us. So here's what he's saying. Here, so this one is, right? I, I, hold on to those. This is a little bit of information and, and instruction and exhortation. I want you to do this. Why? What's God's truth? Scripture is always the final authority for all faith and practice. We go to it first to confirm the truth. Why? Because God wants us to have it. You're not trying to make your life hard. You're not trying to, to oh, man, I can't, I can't understand. Some of this is just way too hard. Oh, I'm just really freaked out. No. I'm giving you this as a standard because let me tell you this. Once you were broken, you're wandering around in lies and you don't even know it. You think life works like this. You think when this happens, you should do this. Almost always you're wrong. So here's what I'm going to do. As a major gift for you, I'm going to give you the truth. But you need to read it, you need to understand it, you need to own it, you need to live it, you need to make it part of you, and then it's going to transform you so that when we hear the lie, we'll know it. Okay, so how many of you out there, right? How many of you wondering, what, what's the truth in this? What, where's the truth in this? And, and, and we're being told different messages in our culture, in media, all around us, their lies. You know, I went through that with you and said, hey, you know, part of my job is, as your, uh, God's under-shepherd is to lead you to the truth, God's truth, not my truth, God's truth, and make sure that you're not deceived by the lie, the lies of culture. Now, how do we do that? Okay, you can go out and, and, and really fight against the lies of culture, but that's not what I believe God wants us to do or called to do as Christians. What we have to do is, is maintain the truth, right? The, tr the truth goes along. It's been steady since it was written. It's God's truth. It never changes like the culture does. And so what we need to do is just study the truth and, and, and understand it so that when the lies come, we see them. Right? And then we can say, okay, we need to deal with this lie if it's coming within here and it's coming into this room or it's coming into the church, God's church. We need to deal with it, but we're not out there 
trying to transform the world. They're pagans, and without God's help, they're not going to do it. They'll believe the lie, but we need to protect the lie. And so God says, look, this is what I'm telling you. Always, my scripture is the final authority, so that when you need truth, that's where you go. That's the truth. We need to, we need to take. We need to own this. Um, I, would, I, would, I feel horrible if I was to go back and <clears throat> think about all the decisions I made in my life as a Christian where I didn't consult God's truth first. First of all, there were the sinful ones, which then I just, I'd rather not. God, just can you kind of uh, veil that over for a while? I'd like to do the sinful thing while you're not looking. But even the, even the stuff where I was trying to be good, where I was trying to do what, what God wanted, you know, you know, and most of the time, though, it was like, here's my plan, God. I would like you to bless it. How many of you have done that? Don't have to raise your hand, but I know you do. Right, I know you do. Instead of, no, Tim, I've given you this great gift. Let's evaluate your life choices here based on my truth. It will cause you, you to avoid a lot of really bad stuff in your life. Um, you can thank me now. It isn't just to win a theological argument. It, this, is, this is God saying, I know how life is supposed to work. You don't. Here it is. It's only going to work for you if you actually... Hold to it, Paul says, and hang on really good and be steadfast in it. No, never let go. Because it's easy when the flesh rises up or when culture is like, am I, am I the only one in the whole world that believes like this anymore? To hang on to the truth of Scripture, that's what we need. That's God's, God's truth for you in this verse. Own it. You gotta really, do I really... I, I, do I believe this intellectually, or am I actually using the Bible to tell me what I should be doing in my life? That's up to you. It's there. Are you going to internalize that? Are we, gonna, are we really, really going to go to the truth of Scripture to determine the decision we make in life? It's in there. Okay. Verse 16, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort. He gave us eternal comfort. That is everlasting solace, consolation, and comfort. Eternal comfort. This is a truth. This is now we're going back to the things that God is, is going to do. Now may we, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, the, the God, two parts of the Godhead, who loved us, agape loved us, loved us with a love that is, is an action love, that, that, that actually does something, it's not just an emotional feeling, that he loved us enough to become sin for us, and he gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. <clears throat> There's a message in Scripture, and it goes like this. This life is hard but the next one is so much better. And there are going to be times when this one is so hard that I'm going to need you to, to think about the next one in order to get through it. That's true. If that hasn't happened in your life yet, it's going to. It's going to be so hard that you just say, I'm done with this. God, if there's a truck out there somewhere, can you just have it run over me because I'm done? 
And you need to be thinking it because it says that in First Peter, right? I, I keep bringing that one up. You know, here's what you've got in store for you. Johnny, tell him what he's won. And here it is, eternal security and this wonderful inheritance that will never or spoil, fade, or perish. And it's in heaven, kept for you, but for now. So in these things rejoice because for now you're going to have to go through some trials. This is God's truth to say, I have given you eternal comfort and hope through grace. I fixed it all. That's waiting for you in the next phase of your existence. And there are definitely times I need that. <laughs> I need that. My, my, my grandson, I, I love my grandson. He's figured out <clears throat> that just to say I want that isn't good enough. So everything he wants, he said, I need that. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> and sometimes it actually works for him. And I say, no, you don't need that. You just want it. Um, God knows we need this, and, it, and it's, it's up there. And I need this truth at times in my life. And I'm sure you do too. It's there as a gift to you specifically from God. I've given you eternal comfort and hope through my grace. The other great part of this is it's, it's through grace, right? It's, it's, it's not linked to performance on your part. It's grace. I'm giving you something I already know and you know you don't deserve. Eternal comfort and hope. That this isn't all there is and there's something much, much better waiting for you. Verse 17. You have been given eternal comfort and hope through the grace of God. Okay, that was the, the truth. Sorry. And verse 17, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. So I have to go back because it's kind of a continuation. I'm going to go back. All right. If I go back to verse 16, it says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, now comfort your hearts now. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And I had a hard time trying to understand what this is talking about. So, but you have to combine it with 16. Again, this is God saying, this is what I'm going to do in verse 16. Now, I'm going to lead you to eternal comfort through my grace. But right now, I am going to comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So I was thinking, well, what does that mean? So I am going to comfort you now. And establish, I am going to set the foundation and give you security and hope right now. And you're going to see the results of that when you are doing good works and word. I want you to take that. When you see it happening in your life, know that that is evidence that you're one of mine, that you're secure, and that there's comfort available for you right now today. Now. Can I use that? I mean, it's nice to think about the comfort that's coming in the next life, but I could use a little, a little bit of that today, God. Well, guess what, Tim? I'm making that available to you through my Holy Spirit, and I am going to establish your heart. I am going to rock solid, give you a foundation in your heart and soul, knowing that you are mine, and you're going to see the evidence of that every time you do something good that, that you could never do on your own. Every good work and word. I could use that, God. Thank you very much. 
What's the truth? Inform, instruct, and encourage. God will comfort your hearts now and set you firmly on his path with every good work and word that you do. God's promise. I love you. I love you now, and I'm working on your behalf. I know you have a hard time in this life. Everything around you is broken. There are parts of you that are still broken. But I'm going to give your heart some comfort now. And I am going to firmly establish you in my path. Going back to verse 13, where I am, through my Holy Spirit, going to lead you to purity and holiness through sanctification by my grace, which you did not deserve. And I'm going to end up with that same message. And you can know that I'm in there when you see yourself acting more like me. Find comfort in that. That might be it. There we go. <clears throat> so I read through this passage a number of times. And so, I, like I said, if, I, if I'd have got squared away in time, I would have given you a handout that says, here's the date, here's the passage, here are these four categories. When you read through Scripture, you pull out the truths that you see and own them. A new way to read your Bible. I can read through it a lot of times, but if I'm not picking those things out and understanding this is God's gift to me personally, so I'm going to give you 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 17 in the Tim Henley translation. I'm not trying to read you God's scripture. I'm just saying I took these promises I made him my own. And it sounded like this. My under-shepherds, this is God. Now, Paul wrote it, but God wrote it. This is God talking to me. My under-shepherds give thanks to me because of you, Tim. They know that I, Agape, loved you, and I love you always, no matter what. And my love is not just a feeling, it's an action love. You'll see it as well as feel it. I chose you by name before I created the world. I knew you before you were conceived. I knew all of your faults, but I loved you and chose you anyway. I sent my Holy Spirit to change your heart and mind so that you would hear my voice when I called, and then you came to me. I will bring you to complete purity and holiness when I finish my plan for you. You will believe the truth, and no delusion will pull you away from me. I called you through the truth, which is called my gospel. It's a truth that tells you that I loved you and I cherished you so much that I paid the penalty that was necessary to buy you back from destruction. I took upon myself through my son your sin and became sin to seal your pardon. I did this so that you may share in the glory that my son will have in eternity. In the meantime, hold fast to the instructions and the promises in my word. It's holy. It's supernatural and it's life-changing. Always refer to it when you're going to make decisions. It will change you and transform you. It will give you instructions, hope, and comfort. Know it, trust it, live it. My grace is in there. I will comfort your heart and set you firmly in my path. With every good work and word that comes out of you, you'll know that I'm in there and that I'm still working. I'm working for my glory and your good. 
Find hope and security and meaning in that, for you are mine forever. Now, I'm not trying to rewrite scriptures, but as I went through here and pulled those promises out, every one of the things that I said was in there. You have to dig a little bit in some of the words to find out exactly what their meanings are. There's some absolutely incredible, life-changing truths of Scripture that we can own if only we pull them out of there and apply them to our life. And it can't be just some subjective, yeah, this is the truth, and it's out there, but it's not really about me. And say that's one of the problems we have as broken human beings. We think... We think we really, in, in the end, we know we're broken. And we, and we really question, can God really have loved us if he just knew really who we were? The promises in Scripture tell us that, that he does. But just like having millions of dollars sitting in your savings account, if you don't know it and use it, it doesn't do you any good. The treasures of Scripture are there for us. You can go to them any day, any time. But we have to own them. And we have to make them part of us. God, and God's supernatural Holy Spirit is there to do just that when we get out of His way. To be transformed into the image of Christ by the truth of His Holy Word requires knowledge of the Word, requires an intentionality in studying the Word, an intentionality at internalizing the Word, and then acknowledgement that God's Holy Spirit will do the work. Amen. Let's pray. Um, dear Father, we just thank you. What, what, <laughs> what a blessing it is to be a child of God. Even though, man, we str- I struggle and we struggle and, and we make life so much harder than it probably is. Life is hard. But the truth of, of your word has t- given us so many promises to stand on if we just go there. If we just go there instead of just reading them for information that we go there and make them ours. So, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit does just that in us as we move on, that you would conform us to the image of your Son through the truth of your Scripture. Really help us take advantage of the promises that, that we already own if we'll just pick them up and use them. So, Lord, we just thank you for what you're going to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.